least when I got to college, Alice and I flew back from Korea together. With and Dottie. what? With Dottie. And Alice went in, we flew into Asheville, and I guess I spent a few days there, but with Grandma Hopper. But George Brown, my cousin, was getting married there that weekend. So Alice was going to go to the wedding, and but I had to get on a bus and go down to uh, Clinton, South Carolina for orientation. And I got on the bus in Asheville, got down to Greenville, South Carolina. I was supposed to change buses. I changed buses. And then I got to the edge of Clinton, South Carolina, got off the bus, and my bag wasn't there. So there I was at college. I had never met anybody. I did not know anybody. I'd never been there before. And I didn't have a suitcase. So, um, but they, they had assigned me a roommate. His name was Hope Curry. He was a good guy. In fact, I had met him in clubs in Montreat back, um, back probably when I was about 10 years old. And I remembered him, and um, I don't know if you remember me, and uh, he played tennis. We played tennis together and stuff. But anyhow, that was a hard beginning, I'll tell you that. You get to, you want to be, you know, like Alice says, you want to be blending in. It was hard to be, but Hope was much bigger than me. He loaned me some clothes and here these baggy clothes on me, and it was just a mess. Well, if, about three days later, I mean, that was a, like a Friday or Saturday, on a Monday or Tuesday, they found my suitcase and gave it back to me. But that was, you know, you were trying to be meeting people and stuff. Anyhow, there was one woman that was helpful, was Susan Hensley or something like that. What? Susan Neville, that was who it was. And she, she later ended up in Montreat. But she was cho a, a daughter of missionary parents in Congo, I think, and she watched out for me some, but that was messy. <laughs> my folks came back when I came back to college. Back for furlough, right? Uh, for furlough. They took a six-month furlough, brought me back to college in 68. And um, um, uh, so they dropped me off at college, so I didn't just wander in there cold. Like Baron did. But, you know, I was known as as Hoppy's little brother. Um, she was gone. She had just graduated, so. That's Ann Alice. Uh, so the uh, the other classmen, my, the freshmen I didn't know, but they were all green also. Um, but, yeah, still, that to me was a, still a shock. I, you know, I went to, King was a tiny college, but I, I, you know, there are 120 or something came in with my freshman class, 110 or 20, and that was huge. I graduated with six in high school, and that was huge for me and pretty stressful. Um, so um, we talked earlier about the pizza ordering. Were, were there other culture shock things beyond? I mean, the size change is one thing, but just culture and American culture, East Tennessee culture, perhaps. I didn't know sports much and things. I, you know, didn't. I, we had played tag football at KCA, but I, I didn't know, uh, know sports when people watch watch go to the high school games. We didn't have college football, but people go to the high school games. I went a few times. I didn't know, know how to watch sports.
you didn't teach your son either, so. I had, I had never seen golf, and so I took golf that first semester in phys ed, and that was interesting. It kind of stuck. Stuck tighter than anything else in college, probably. But <laughs> no, I, I, I just felt lost a lot. Uh, uh, I, I got to know some kids. There was one girl who's was from the church in Callaway, Virginia, that Daddy had pastored before he went into missions. And so Is that Janie? Janie's little sister, Dinah. I got to know Dinah pretty quickly. We met. Um, you know, made some friends pretty quickly, but yeah. How about you, Ann Alice? What was your experience coming back? Well, <clears throat> the first time I got to King was, the, the first time I saw the campus was when my parents were taking me there to attend. Um, we did not go visit colleges back in those days. We drove up <clears throat> in a car from Mission Haven in Atlanta and we took a returning upperclassman, Ellen McElwain, whose parents had been missionaries in Japan. And I got on my hall and they said, you need to go meet your big sister and told me her room number. And that was Sally Van Sweden and she was from Florida. And she said, what did you say your name was? And I said, Alice Hopper. She said, Alice, we can't have another Alice. We already have one Alice on this hall. I'm thinking, I just got here, you know. And, and she said, Alice, how do you like the name Allie? And I said, I don't. And she said, what did you say your na last name was? And I said, Hopper. She said, how about Hoppy? And I said, okay. From then on, it w that was my nickname in college. Hmm. And people still, who know me from college, call me Hoppy. Because there was already an Alice there. Huh. There was Alice Barkley already on our hall, so there couldn't be too, too many Alices. Mm. But I, I loved being with so many different girls, so many different people to get to know. We're shocked to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the thing was, we were supposed to have study hours from seven to nine at night. And I all, you were supposed to be in your room studying during that time. And I never was. And there was a hall monitor that should not ever catch you out of your room at the wrong time. So that first weekend, I went downtown on the bus and bought a can of of um, three-in-one oil and went and oiled all of the hinges on all of the doors on my hall so I could get in and out without the door squeaking. But I loved King. I had learned about it when I was applying to college by two young missionaries that had just come to the mission field, David and Ellen Ross. And they had actually met at King College. Now you have to understand, there had been one boy in a graduating class a year or two ahead of us. And that was the only boy that was in our high school because the other boy, Price Cameron, had gone to Seoul. And so the idea of a co 
ed college was wonderful. I had known about Agnes Scott because my Aunt Mar Martia went there, and I had known about Queens College, which was where my mother graduated, and I had applied to both of those colleges because they were good Presbyterian colleges, but I had never heard of this place that was co-ed. Such a thought. And so, so I, went to, I went to King, sight unseen, and I just fell in love with it, just the campus and getting to know the kids and the different people. But we had, a, they had student, student council or something that were called, um, that were to train us and break us in. And as young freshmen, we had to wear beanies every day that had KC on them. And we had to go every morning and wake up the other dormitories, which meant we had to sing the school song in front of the dormitories at 6.30 in the morning or something like that. It was kind of gentle hazing. We yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the guy that was in charge of whatever the court was called was a guy that had been in the military and was now out, and everyone was afraid of him. But you were supposed to learn everybody's name on campus because at the end of the whatever the hazing period was, you would be tested by people walking across the stage and you were supposed to be able to write down the correct name for them. I don't remember what my score was, but it was probably pretty high because I had gotten to know a lot of people and continued to get to know people throughout the years. I and I just loved King. So. So then, when, when Justin went, he was interviewed by somebody from King. He said, I had no choice. My mother put banners all over my crib, which of course was not true. And then Rachel came to me and she said, Aunt Alice, I just cannot go to King College. I said, honey, you don't have to. She said, all of my brothers and sisters, all of my cousins until now have gone there and I just cannot do it. I said, that's fine. So of course she went to um, ETSU. East, ETSU and met Jeremiah there. So, but I loved King. Well, going to Presbyterian College, there were about two or three times as many students as at King College. And I quickly learned that the, um, that, well, it took me a while to figure out what was going on, that, that they had fraternities and maybe a sorority there at King, at Presbyterian College. And it took me a while to figure out what they were. But at Presbyterian College, my, they immediately had rush. And that rush was when everybody was trying to get into or get you into their um, fraternity. Well, it wasn't for me. I mean, it was this was this was ostensibly a Christian college, Presbyterian, but but these were primarily kind of party boys from South Carolina, and out for a good time, beer drinking, good old boys, and I just wasn't wasn't interested in that and. So I didn't, didn't get into the fraternity thing, and that, that kind of left me out. King College was much more uniform, and everybody would kind of mingle more 
but Presbyterian College was this this sort of thing. So that that always left me a little socially isolated. I mean, I'm not. I probably would have been somewhat anyhow, but that was a lot. And I remember they they would all go home, clear out, and go home on weekends and do their laundry, or maybe their mama would do their laundry for them or something. Well, I didn't have any mama around to do any laundry for me, and they didn't have washing machines in the dorms. So I said, well, what am I supposed to do about my laundry? They said, well, somebody said, well, you, what you do is you go down into, into um, Clinton. Clinton, and there's a laundromat, you can get your laundry done. Well, I didn't have a car, so I had to wash, walk in there to the laundromat. I carried my laundry down there, and I got there, and there were about 15 big black women in there doing their laundry. And I said, well, you know, I asked one of them to help me. Oh, everybody thought that was hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> then I said, well, what do you do for soap? And they said, see that machine over there? It's got little boxes in it. Well, you put in 15 cents and a box comes out and you get you got your soap and all. And they, they helped me and showed me how the machines worked. They thought that was the greatest thing they had ever seen. So I'd found some friends in Clinton, South Carolina. Anyhow, um, I, I just never got into the social, into any sort of angle of social life at, at Presbyterian College. And I guess I just felt isolated after. And I, um, I mean, my grades were all right. I made maybe an A or two and B's and, C, and maybe a C or two, but, um, but I just didn't like it that well. Not, feeling kind of left out. I went up to King College after two years. David was there. He had been there one year. We roomed together. And um, I, I just I just still felt kind of isolated and left out. D didn't feel right. I don't know if I was depressed or what. And that's when I went in the Army. Got my ears fixed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Took a few years, but... Um, anyhow, but... Um, I mean, you know, if you, when a vacation would come or a long weekend or whatever, you know, you were 200 I, miles I from, from Morristown or High Point or Montreat where grandparents or friends and all were. You didn't have a car, so that's when David and I, we got in the habit of, of hitchhiking. So one time I was hitchhiking from Morristown to uh, High Point from Granddaddy Longnecker to Grandma Hopper. And I got mugged, you know, and that was kind of messy. But um, anyhow, um, it, it was hard. I mean, you didn't have a car, and and you were stuck, and you didn't have somebody come pick you up and all. So some of the some of the kids would invite me home for Thanksgiving and stuff like that, and that was nice. But it wasn't your home. It was kind of it was kind of foreign, or you couldn't really just let your hair down. So it was hard. Dad, you had a story about hitchhiking and. Found out the person was drinking the whole way, right? Hitchhiking what? The person, the driver was drinking the whole way, right? Oh yeah, well, I hitchhiked back to college, from Asheville to to Johnson City. The old old uh, road was real windy over that ridge. You now didn't you have that I twenty six. Yeah, now you got twenty six, but it was an old windy road before twenty six, and uh, got a ride. Uh, actually, another. King kid from Asheville, Quentin Alcorn, and I hitchhiked together. Got we got over that mountain, all the million curves. Yeah. Got down to the other side of the mountain. The guy pulled off to uh, 
at, uh, at a service station and hopped out and bought himself a, a Mountain Dew out of the drink machine. Went and sat back down in the driver's seat, pulled out a little bottle of vodka from under the seat, proceeded to pour out half his, his Mountain Dew and filled it on up the rest of the way with vodka. And I realized that's what he'd been sipping all the way over the mountain. Um, so we we got out the car and hitchhiked our way on. Actually, was yeah. I with you? No, it was me and Quentin. And it was a bad bad place to be hitchhiking. I I, I finally got a we finally got a ride and went on, but not a busy road or a good spot to be. You learned as a hitchhiker there were places that you could get picked up and there were places you couldn't get picked up. This was a couldn't get picked up place. But yeah, I, you know that scared me. Um, I had one other, other kind of cra crazy experience. It wasn't dangerous, but this, <laughs> this old country hicks out here on, I guess it was I-40 had been built then, but um, this side of Chapel Hill, along there, got picked up in a, um, an old clunker, and this guy had this old, had this, these country hicks. He had her get in the back, and I got in the front seat with him, and we drove along. He was heading down to Statesville or somewhere. We, as we drove along, she said, I gotta pee. <laughs> he would, ah, uh, oh, you don't got to, and they would cuss back and forth. He finds oh, there's a plastic bag back there. Get that. <laughs> you know, this is a crazy ride. I, I wanted out of that one, but but I needed my ride too. But anyway, uh, so there's some crazy rides. But, yeah, me too. But we had some good rides too. Uh, you know, um, get in with a with a I got in with a trucker. It wasn't a very nice tractor trailer, but. Uh, I got in out here somewhere south of Greensboro and rode all the way to Atlanta with the same guy. That's a great ride. One time I got in with a man, some might have been on I-85 somewhere, but he, he, we got to talking a little bit. He said, well, would you want to drive? And I said, sure. So I, I drove, I don't know, a couple hundred miles or something for him. I, did, I think I drove for, for a businessman one time too. Uh, we we hitchhiked all the way down to that was being Fort Lauderdale driver. one time. Yep. Yeah. To visit Alice. That was the time. That was the time you ended up saying, you know, the problem with telling lies is you can't remember what you told <laughs> last, because y'all would pick a grandparent, either either you are from Montreat or you are from Tennessee, and then then the next ride you you might or might not pick the same grandparent, and so it was difficult to remember where it was you said you came from. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got in a ride on that trip with a guy who went really flying down through Florida. Remember how fast he went? I, bet I don't even remember. He was going close to 100 miles down from, from Orlando to, my, to Fort Lauderdale. We made some good time there. Um, Aunt Margaret, how about your college experience? I did not have a good college experience. I, um, I started out at King, 
where Alice had been so happy, and I thought David had been so happy. I, I was happy that it just took me a while to break in. Um, and I, when we went to Bristol that day, Daddy took me to the bank to get open a checking account, and I got sick. I threw up in the bank. Oh, <laughs> and so they took me up to the college, and I, I, somebody had to help me into the room, and I was out for the rest of the day. And so orientation was starting, and everybody else was getting to know everybody, and I wasn't even there. And then for the next few days, I just wasn't feeling good. I didn't really participate. I think I went to the orientation meetings at some point, but I didn't really participate, didn't get to know people, didn't make friends. And so but then everybody kind of had their friends, mm -hmm. and I just I never really felt like I fit in at King. And so I transferred to Covenant College the next year where I knew there were Korea Mish kids there and other Mish kids, and I enjoyed that, but then I went to nursing school from there. Um, so transferring college three times is not a good plan. Didn't you have friends kill in a plane crash? Yeah, that was Roommate. just before graduation at nursing school. But I didn't like nursing school. I probably would have quit, but I had nowhere to go. Um, you would have quit what? Nursing school. But um, You could have joined the Army. Get... Well, see, I, I didn't think of that. As, well, actually, no, that's not true because they were always recruiting nursing students. But then you have to commit to spend, you know, kind of your I, life just, in the Army. I was just kidding you. But... but I didn't want to do that. But anyway, so, you know, the whole same thing you all have described about no place to go on holidays, Mom and Daddy would pay for me to fly to Florida, I think, for Christmas. But I couldn't hitchhike as a girl, and so I would spend Thanksgivings in the dorm and, you know, all of that that was just not pleasant. I, so I just didn't like it. What I didn't have in not having my parents in the States, I didn't have counsel, somebody I could talk mm -hmm. to. And, and um, I don't remember ever feeling like I needed great counsel with my folks at home when I was at home. I didn't, I wasn't somebody who had big heavy problems to go talk to them about or anything, but I always knew I could bounce things off of them. But, but like when I was trying to decide to go to med school, I didn't have a clue. I, I knew that, I, I didn't know what options there were in life. I knew that there were doctors, I knew there were preachers, I knew there were teachers and, and uh, uh, a few other professions, but I didn't even know about things like engineering. When you were, you were thinking about chemistry, you did, you had a chemistry professor and all, but I agree with you. But chemistry, you know, I really liked math. I liked chemistry, but, and I did great in chemistry, but it wasn't because I was real enamored about going into chemistry, because I getting along, I thought, I don't want to be a well, I, chemist you know, or, or uh, I don't want to thinking, teach, I don't want to be in a lab, and I didn't want to be in the military. Right you're then. thinking chemistry and me medical school in my presence, and I said, well, it just seems like medicine would be better. Um, I mean, I didn't know what all was available in chemistry. I see being near to uh, Eastman Chemical now, man, there are just all kinds of things people do in chemistry, but um, somehow medicine seemed better. That was the way I was pointing you. I, I don't know that that made any difference to you, but well, uh, you were you were at UNC at that point when I went down there and interviewed. You you were at Chapel Hill. Uh huh. Went down to Chapel Hill to interview, and um, uh, so that was good. When were you at Chapel Hill? When I he came out of Barron's, the army. He wrote Barron's Review of Colleges. Don't you know? 
Um, it, it was uh, from King College. I went into the Army. I was in the Army. You know, I went in October in the Army. And then once you'd been in, in there for, you know, as long as I had, once you were down to where there wasn't that many months left, there wasn't enough time for you to be sent to Vietnam. And they were, I mean, you were just kind of twiddling your thumbs. So um, I, you can get an early out. I got an early out for a couple of months and um, came back to UNC. So I, when you go into the Army, they say, well, what, what state do you want your citizenship to be? And it might may make a difference when you come out. Well, I didn't have a state that I was really attached to, but naturally I picked North Carolina because of Montreat and grandparents and stuff like that. So then I came to UNC and I, I was always lonely at UNC. I rented a room in the upstairs of a little old lady from the University Presbyterian Church. I really liked her. And there was another little, another chemistry PhD student there, two of us renting and, um, but I was always lonely there. I never, never had any way to get in socially. And so I dropped out of UNC and then started into uh, UNC Asheville, um, probably the fall of 73, I guess. And by then I had met Martha and was going with Martha. So that gave me a little more um, stability. What were summers like during college? Where did y'all end up? I worked in Montreat um, doing... How many summers did you work there? Well, let me think. I worked probably two summers and then the summer before my freshman year I went to um, I mean before my senior year I went to Korea my, the year before um, one year I took summer school trying to get ahead in some different um, classes because you could take summer classes and then you wouldn't have to be as full. That was it while I was doing practice teaching my senior year. So I, wor I worked at, at um, Montreat. At the I guess just for the retreat once. center? I'm sorry? For the retreat center? At Montreat? What was your job? Oh, oh, oh. I worked in Anderson Auditorium at the um, information desk. And enjoyed it. There were people around. When I went to college, then sometime in the spring semester, there was a guy recruiting a team to go sell dictionaries out in Missouri. So, I mean, it was pictured as, you know, sure wealth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, he was a good salesman, and I went out with the team, and I got dropped in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And... Um, um, I tried that for a while, and I, I probably made enough money for my upkeep. I didn't do very well and didn't like it. So I dropped out and went up to Uncle Peter's in St. Louis. And from there, I called. You know, you got to be resourceful. I mean, you're stuck. Mm -hmm. You don't have a car, and you're stuck out in Missouri. What are you going to do? I called up the Boy Scout Council and got a job at, um, at a Boy Scout camp. It was actually a explorer camp, and they did a lot. They had a, a lake there, and they did a lot with motorboats. They had three, three motorboats, and they would pull water skiers. 
So most of that summer, I pulled water skiers around and around this lake. It was it was fun. I mean, you. I mean, I got to be really an expert at teaching water skiing. I mean, not that it does you any good in in the rest of your life, but. <laughs> But I mean, I could get these kids up and going really quick and they, they would enjoy, by the time they had been there four or five days, they were doing all kinds of, they were stacking up on each other's shoulders and stuff like that. So that was, that was fun. Well, could you water ski? Well, I, I could if I wanted, I wasn't that, <laughs> that interested, but. Um, could you drive a boat well? I got to be, I was an expert boat driver. I mean, I could drive that boat. You, it took a while, but you could get to, you were doing eight hours a day or something where you could pull right up to the dock and it would just be just glide right <laughs> up against that dock. Um, I mean, I was, I was good. Then one day I was pulling out from the dock and the, the waterfront guy, his name was Kim, he called out to me. He was trying to get my attention for something other and I cut my engine off. And of course your boat doesn't stop when you cut your engine off. And I was trying to talk to him and the boat glided into, there was some kind of a thing there with concrete buttress coming out from it, and I glided into it and broke the windshield on the boat. Well, I didn't know about this, but when, when I went to leave, leave, I was supposed to get paid $175 for the summer, for six weeks or eight weeks. Well, the, and I still remember the guy to this day, he was a Jewish guy, Mel Lowenstein, and he said, well, now we've got to take, you know, this windshell off your boat. And I said, listen, I argued with him. I, I said, listen, I was doing my job. I wasn't out. Some of the guys would go running around and get their, hit their boats on stumps mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Well, I wasn't doing anything. I was just talking to the lifeguard who had called to me and I made him give me my money. I mean, it wasn't much money anyhow. Um, but I, there again, I mean, you didn't have a place to live and you had lived there and been fed and you had a place to stay and everything. But you did get your money back? Yeah, I got the money. And how'd uh, you get back to Montreal or get back east? I took a bus, probably spent a good bit of that money getting back. Or maybe I hit, I don't think I hitchhiked, I don't think I rode a bus. Who's Uncle Peter? Is that your great uncle? He was Ruth Longenecker's uncle. He was Grandma Dot's uncle. Okay. He was a bachelor uncle, lived, he had a little farm outside of St. Louis. And um, we had met him, we knew him over the years. And Grandma Ruth had lived in the same area with him and she had kind of watched out for him for years. She was an old bachelor. An old bachelor. And in fact, that was probably the biggest question when she married Grand Granddaddy Longenecker. What was gonna happen to Uncle Peter? Well, actually, what happened was he died. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't right away. <laughs> solve the problem. He, he, after some period of time, he fell down in his garage and just died. Um, there wasn't anybody helping him. Um, he was an older guy, but he, he, he raised pigs while we knew him. So um, I remember when I went to visit Uncle Peter at that time, he had a chair in his bedroom. And the one thing he wanted to help with, he had this huge mound of newspapers by it. And he wanted to get them out and burn them. And he would sit there every day and read the newspaper and drop it there until it was a big, huge mound and wanted me to go. And in the living room, he had these stacks of books about this high all around with trails through them. A hoarder. He, he, he hoarded books and anyhow. 
Dad, you spent some summers working in Montreal as well, right? Yeah, we came back in 68, and I guess I just kind of goofed off that summer. Then summer of 69, I got a job um, with the uh, um, World Missions of the Presbyterian, uh, it was PCUSA, PCUS back then, I guess. Um, we, um, I, I worked in the, the um, um, uh, mission, world mission, world mission building, which they changed the name of that year to the Way Out, which still has the sign "The Way Out" outside of it. It's that building right to the, as you face the lake from below it. It's just to the right of it. Um, uh, but I, I was the flunky there. But I kind of ran the building. I kept it clean and straight, and and uh, did fix it, and and um, met people, and I got to know a lot of the the um, mission leadership of the Presbyterian denomination that summer. Um, some I liked, some I didn't like. Um, and um, you stayed with me in my place. Uh, yeah, you were up in the campground that summer, weren't you? Yeah. yeah, and we stayed in the campground. Um, I had a tent to live in, and he came and lived with me. But the one thing I will never forget was, I was not there when Dr. Nelson Bell came by to recruit me to put his Presbyterian Outlook or Presbyterian something journals. around Montreat. Is that how I got the job? And David was there, so he gave the job to David. Oh, that's why David is wealthy and I'm poor. <laughs> I didn't get paid big bucks, but he paid me. Uh, so this was my second job that summer was was putting stacks of the Presbyterian Journal around Montreat. Now the denomination was becoming more liberal, and the um, um, there Montreat had lots of libs who would who didn't like what the Presbyterian Journal said. And so I would go around every day and fish, fish the whole stack out of Anderson Auditorium lobby that had gone into the trash can. I'd fish them out of the trash can and put them back up on the shelves. <laughs> and this kind of stuff. I had a stack there and a stack up Did in the hotel. Did he ask you to do hotel. that? Was that part well, of the he, job? He, to check on making sure that piles of them were staying around. And I found out that why the piles were disappearing sometimes was not because people had picked up the copies, because people had chunked the copies. Wow. So that was my job for Dr. Bell. And he and I got to know each other some. He'd take me to baseball games over to, he had his box seats over at the uh, uh, Asheville. Tourists. Tourists. Uh, and go over there. And he had been a ball player, and everybody everybody knew, he knew the game. And, and everybody come talk to Dr. Bell. Um, the next summer, I worked in in Assembly Inn, um, the big hotel there in Montreat by the lake, and and I ran the elevator. And I talk about him being a good uh, boat driver. I was a good elevator driver. That, the elevator didn't have automatic level, and so you had to stop it just right. You had to flip the switch to stop it when it was about a foot from it the floor. That, it had that dial thing. Yeah, and it would coast to the... It would coast after you turn it off, so you had to stop it, and it would to have it level. Otherwise, the old ladies would trip. The elevator only moved two directions, though. Boat moved four directions. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that's right. Anyway, um, and so Bill Brown and I worked there. He worked mostly at the desk, and I worked the the. Uh, I occasionally worked the desk, uh, sleep behind the desk at night. Billy Brown was there with you. Yeah, um, and um, um, so I got to, uh, you know, be a. I was a bellhopper, um, but I, I deliver soft drinks into conference rooms sometimes. And the um, the early uh, people meeting to talk about forming the PCA and pulling out of the denomination and all some were would meet in the uh, conference room down in the back hall. Really? And, oh. and I, I, didn't know that. I would linger longer when I was delivered Cokes into to them or something. I would stand there and listen in on the conversation. So I, I kind of heard some of the stuff that was coming up. Well, did you, um, do you remember any of the people at that point? I'm sure I once upon a time knew the names of some of them. I don't remember the names of them. Uh -huh. um, and um, so in my second year, second and third year, I guess I worked, worked um, there. Yeah. So I worked three summers in Montreal. Um, one summer, summer, Bill and I stayed most of the summer and the, the Browns were going to be coming home and they were going to stay on the, in the Graham house and it was open. So we stayed in the Graham house for just Bill and me for a good stretch. Um, the one on Mississippi Road. Well, at the corner of Mississippi. Um, that was a nice abode to own. Can you share the story about the, uh, the Apollo uh, mission? After church one Sunday, it was a, it was not a, a maybe it was in the summertime. Anyway, no, it was, it was when conferences were not in session. I had gone to church in Gaither, and um, uh, Ruth Graham was sitting behind us or in front of us. Some invited uh, me, and um, I think it was Pete Robinson and his friend Tex uh, up for lunch. I didn't know Billy was going to be there. He would sometimes come to church late and go up into the, or he'd sneak in and go up into the balcony and sneak back out before it was over so he wouldn't get cornered. Um, but, uh, wouldn't so get cornered? He, everybody would, he'd get cornered. Everybody would want to talk to him. So he would try, just try and come into church and get out of church. Oh, okay. Uh, before, you know, late and early. Uh, but, so we went up to the Graham's house and, um, uh, it was just, uh, Pete and, his friend and me and Ruth and Billy. And uh, we uh, had lunch. I remember it's the first time I'd ever seen a microwave. They, that was when um, microwaves were just being advertised and, and um, Anita Bryant was advertising them. <laughs> and she, I had taken her bags into the hotel once, uh, but, but, um, she, but she was friends of the Grams and had given them uh, a microwave. They had a, anyway. Um, I uh, we after lunch, uh, we went into the uh, den, not their main living room, but kind of a den room that had a TV, a color TV. Um, and um, uh, Ruth wandered off on off in the house, and Billy and Ruth, I'm sorry, Billy and me and the two guys, other guys, sat there and watched. Uh, a moonwalk all afternoon, um, and Billy told me that uh, 
John Chancellor had called him up a few days earlier and asked him if he would come down to narrate the the launch with him, and he declined it. And all. But we really enjoyed talking to him because he knew everybody. He'd been, you know, probably very few people in the world that could have picked up the phone and called Khrushchev or whoever, and they'd have taken the or called the Pope, and they'd have taken his call, you know. Uh, but um, that was a, a good, good time, a good do, conversation. Do you remember him. which Apollo it was? No, I figured it out. I, I found the date. I figured out the date. But anyway, um, I'll find it for you. Um, it's in a letter. Um, anyhow, so yeah, I enjoyed that. You know, just that's one of the. I've I, I met Billy Graham several times at some other things. I met him at Mrs. Bell's funeral. I met him at. He came to Daddy's funeral. Daddy's mm-hmm. funeral. I met him. And, and, and he came into the hospital. Baron and I had a good long visit with the Grams when he came to the hospital. When they came to the hospital to visit Daddy, you weren't there, were you? No, just the two of us. Um, so I had, I've had I had a couple. Of, those were my two good visits when Daddy was in the hospital and and there. But it's kind of neat to have known him a little bit. Any more college-era stories before we wrap up and have a little bit of reflection? Vacations were hard for me in college. Just like Barron said, you didn't... Yeah. I, you know, I could go down to Morristown sometimes and stay there, and but I didn't last very long with mm-hmm. uh, the Longenacker grandparents. Burned me out uh, being there. Um, and, um, and to come to the Presbyterian home in High Point was not a, you know... It's good to visit Grandma briefly, but not to stay there for long. Uh, but two things. One was when I went to, I went down to Montreat one one Christmas time, and where'd you stay? At the house. I opened it up and stayed in there. Didn't have anybody. Didn't know anybody. Didn't have. I mean, I knew people, but I didn't didn't have any Christmas. Didn't have any. No mail had gotten there from gotten to me from home. I had zero presents. Uh, uh, you got you guys were both overseas. Was the house um, opened up? No, I opened it up. I don't remember whether that time I sometimes I would go there and just can't sleep in the house and 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 uh, have a lamp and go pee in the backyard and things like that. Um, uh, I don't remember on that that year, no. uh, but. Then, um, so that was hard. And the other hard experience was when y'all were overseas, Granddaddy Hopper died. I got a call at King to go. I'm talking too much, maybe. I got a call to go to, uh, that, that Grandma had called that Granddaddy had died. You know, it's hard to call back then. I didn't mm-hmm. even call. I just checked, got a plane. There was a plane going to be leaving. I had a friend take me out to... Tri-Cities Airport, caught a plane, flew over to Greensboro High Point Airport, hitchhiked over to Grandma's, and came in there, and she was still waiting to hear back from me. Um, and I was traveling to Korea. You were on your way to Korea. Alice was in Korea. I was in Korea when Daddy got the, uh, Daddy got the phone call that Sunday morning. 
and Mama said, Joe, you don't have to go preach because he was scheduled to go preach at the missile base. And he said, no, Dot, I, I signed up for it, and so he went I, and preached. I think I called him. Oh, okay. Um, uh, anyway, um, the Browns were overseas, and Uncle George and Aunt Vody and they were probably kid, in New Orleans. They were in New Orleans. They got in the car to start driving up here, and Billy was in Memphis, and he flew in. But I was there. I took Grandma to the to the um, funeral home. Funeral home. I walked into this funeral home. I never had been around any American funerals. Walked into the funeral home, and Grandma was still out in the car. I think. I think I was going to go get and get her. There was nobody in the front lobby and all. And I walked by. There was an open casket. They were fixing to have a service. There was an open casket there. This grossed me out a little bit. I, I went on in the back and found somebody. And then went in there with Grandma and took us in and showed us all these caskets to look at. I just felt like a bunch of charlatans ripping her off. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like a huge amount of money just to put in the ground. And... <laughs> anyway, that was a tough day. I was so happy when Uncle George got there uh, middle of the night, and Bill came a little later. Uh, he flew in that afternoon. Um, but yeah, those were tough times. So it wasn't always easy being a kid in America. Does anybody want to attempt to kind of summarize your your parents' impact and their work? They were in Korea for. Um, 38 years. Well, one thing I would say about it and about the Korea missionaries, I mean, you see so many cynical things nowadays about Christians or Christian workers or something. And my parents, they were steady. It seemed to me like they were faithful doing what they, what they were supposed to do. And so were the whole mission there in Korea. You had, I don't know how many people, 50 people or something, and they weren't getting into any mischief or doing anything wrong. They were faithful workers for the church. And guess what? The church did well. And they, they were a big part of being world changers in Korea. They yeah. really... Well, today, when I meet, and I like to go to Asians, and I like to see if they're from Korea, and to a person, it doesn't matter if they are Christians or if they are not Christians. Whenever I identify myself with the history in Korea of parents and grandparents, they thank me profusely for what missionaries did for their country. Now, of course, those that are Christians thank me that, that they know they're going to heaven, thank me that, that they have the Bible, but those that are non-Christians thank me because it was missionaries that brought in schools and hospitals and printed materials. Colleges and, and colleges and high schools. And, and I'm convinced that part of the reason that they have the democratic type of government that they have is because Presbyterianism teaches voting for your leaders and then submitting to them and um, not having a pope to mentor things, but to, to have it sort of spaced out, we the people. And um, 
I th- I think that the gospel has changed Korea in in raising the status of women, and in um, I mean it didn't set out to do that, but just by its very nature, it has stabilized it stabilized marriages, it promoted education, and it provided the written word, the scripture word. And they were just a good example for the people, just a good example of of life lived. I mean, you had these mission stations with these people that were doing things in the community. They were just people in the community. They were participating in churches, in hospitals, and schools. And being fun. This idea of the drab missionary is nothing that I can identify with. And they never tooted their own horns. Never tooted their own horns. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, Daddy was recognized with a D.D. from Davidson College, um, uh, and Mama was recognized for being an alumna, the alumnus of the year from from um, Queens College. Uh, they they Never use that. they were they did receive some worldly recognition along the way, but that was never a big deal to them. They didn't um, uh, seek their own glory, and I think they uh, and, and there are others too, but they were as successful in the work of missions in Korea as anybody, um, and. Uh, may not go down in history with a name known as being the great missionaries there, but were as, as great as any of them. Faithful, patient workers. Now, if you went in Daddy's study in Montreat, on the back of the door inside was his his honorary doctorate from the Sagipo University. And what was his doctorate in? I don't remember, but at mission meetings, they would they would humorously give out these doctorates, and he had, he had this university with no campus, no students, only that was only alumni. Robinson Ajax University. And uh, so, what my father didn't have his honorary doctorate from um, Davidson College. There, he had his <laughs> doctorate from Sagipo University. Ajax University on Sagipo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ajax University. And in other words, you know, they didn't. And, and when he, when he finished, when he was graduated from missions, when he was given that final ceremony there in Montreat, uh, I don't have it, but apparently on his, on the, the bulletin <laughs> or whatever that the people that were reti- retiring from missions and had all their credentials, Daddy listed a degree from. Uh, from Ajax, Ajax University. University. <laughs> yeah. Well, when R.K., when you, you know some of the Robinsons. Well, when R.K. Robinson died, they buried him up on Billy Graham's property. And I went to that burial, and Rob Robinson had made a big banner and laid it across his um, c- casket, and it said, Ajax approved. <laughs> and, and I'm sure Billy Graham's men who were doing the work I'm sure they're thinking, hmm. Well, it horrified Calvin Thielman or whoever it was that got up there first. This is not, this is not good. And they said, oh, yes, it is. It is exactly perfect. In other words, it was just a silly thing that they, they did and didn't make too much show of themselves and take themselves too seriously. 
And their, their goal was to raise up Koreans as mature Christians, not to control the Korean church or maintain that leadership into perpetuity. They did their job, they trained up leaders, and they left. You have Mitchner's book about Hawaii, and those missionaries went in there and got all rich. And um, that wasn't the way it was in Korea. Any reflections on your own lives and the, and the impact on, you know, not just being missionary kids, but growing up in Korea and, and seeing the world in a different way, how that's impacted you? More open to internationals or people that have traveled than to people that are very, very local. Um, I guess it's a bigger mind. Mama used to say she liked to meet people that had been working in other areas of the world because they were all areas of of the Lord's vineyards and different parts of the vineyards. And that is of interest to me, is meeting servants of the Lord that work in other places. Because God is so diverse in his appointment of people to do specific and nonspecific jobs. Points to, to me, having tried to read everything I can on this, that just the remarkable courage of all four of your grandparents having come from, you know, rural Kentucky, rural South Carolina, rural Missouri, rural Pennsylvania, and families that have been in those areas for a long time and the courage that they had in, I guess, a hundred, over a hundred years ago now, um, to get on ships and, and go to faraway places, which where I'm sure they, you know, had reasonable consideration they might never return from. Uh, and just the faith, and the raising faith that their they had. kids there was a huge bit of faith. Um, anyhow, but somehow people survived. God yeah, watches out for. They didn't Google what they were getting into. <laughs> well, I think for us it was it was a good upbringing. I mean, we had a loving family and community. The Koreans loved us, and um, you know we were safe. Um, and it, it was diverse. It wasn't you know all one type of people trying to stay the same or something. And we have a very large family because of it, because the missionary aunts and uncles, in some instances, were closer to us than our blood relatives that had had not lived, grown up in that country. But somehow our Hopper family, the four of us, uh, and our parents and our offspring, have grown up and have stayed as a family unit. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that was a good result of of our upbringing. Whether how much of that had to do with growing up in Korea or what, I don't know. But it, I don't think it harmed us. I'm sure there are some things that could have could have happened better. But I don't have any regrets from growing up in Korea. Um, and as far as how it's reflected on my life now, certainly. Being raised international, I'm very comfortable with the world. I've become more comfortable with doing things, medical trips and all. And, you know, I don't really mind stepping into another culture and, and you know, being fed something that doesn't look right and, and various things. Um, we, don't, we don't have the hours to talk about all the things you've been fed that don't look mm-hmm. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... No, I, I I appreciate our background, and I appreciate having the extended family. I have my siblings and yes. their families. 
And all of our children are walking with the Lord, which is really amazing.